morning. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding words of word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray again. Father, we pray what we sang earlier, that you would speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. It is those words that we ask you to speak to us this morning. Teach us and instruct us. And again, God, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And if there be anyone within the sound of my voice that does not know Jesus as their Savior, Holy Spirit, would you speak life and bring conviction so that they might confess faith in the finished work of Christ for their salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Well... Let's see if there's a good way to summarize where we've been so far in chapter 1. Oh, wait, there is. I can read that Wayne Grudem paragraph again that I read last week and posted on Facebook because I think it just really, really sums up 1 through 21 so well. So, after telling his readers to live holy lives and to fear God's discipline and displeasure if they disobey, For God redeemed them from sin at great cost. Peter concludes by reminding his readers that the God whom they are to fear as judge is also the God whom they trust as Savior. He planned their redemption in the councils of eternity. He sent forth his Son for their sake. He is the one whom they even now depend on. He raised Christ from the dead and glorified him. And thus he is the one in whom they place all their trust and hope. The God whom Christians fear is also the God whom they trust forever, the God who has planned and done for them only good from all eternity. (laughs) That's worth memorizing, I think. That's so good. So with that in mind as our precursor, and what a precursor it is, Peter now turns his attention from the commanded obedience to what that obedience leads to. Now, He leads here with with having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now, we haven't reached the command of the verse yet. We'll get there. Um, 
So we need to see this first part as a reason for the coming command. He has said all that we've looked at in verses 1 through 21. And now Peter is saying, since these things have happened, since these things are true. You're going to hear the word since a lot this morning. Okay? So it's kind of a summary in and of itself. And speaking to these believers, these scattered exiles, he called them, who have been called and changed and pointed to Jesus as their model, what has happened to them and who they are is are those who having purified your souls. Now, this really took a... I thought I was headed east and I ended up going west here. Okay, This really took a, a, a dramatic turn in my study and preparation Right here, from the very get-go. Um, let's ponder this, having purified your souls. Is he saying that since they have done something, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth? Now look at that. Having purified your souls, and they understood you there, you having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So that sounds like he's commending them for their doing good, Right? All the stuff that we saw in verses 1 to 21 put the emphasis on what they were to do because of all that God had done, right? And I'm just pointing this out because I think we are prone to too quickly make God's grace conditional upon our doing good. And I think it's incredibly important to know that Peter is not here commending them for their goodness. You say, well, that's exactly what it looks like. Listen, thank God for this commentary by Thomas Schreiner that I've been using in relation to 1 Peter. Thomas Schreiner points something out looking at the verb tenses and what these verb tenses infer. I'm going to quote. He says... Understand the word purified is a perfect participle and that it refers to conversion, having purified your souls. Well, what he's saying here is that that participle refers to conversion. And the fact that it's a perfect tense, perfect tense means something that happened in the past that has continual results all throughout the future. And that's important. He says the perfect tense of the participle supports this view signifying a past action that has ongoing consequences. So what he's saying is when purified your souls was not their doing. They had their souls purified. Okay? Stay stay with me and stay with Thomas Schreiner. Moreover, he says, the phrase "by by your obedience to the truth probably... And I will, I'll state that, circle it big, probably refers to the truth of the gospel. He goes on to say, often in the New Testament, the gospel is designated as the truth. So he says, we should not understand the phrase as true obedience, but obedience to the truth, which again, the ESV gets it right there. The word obedience describes conversion elsewhere in the New Testament, signify, signifying submission to the gospel. 
And Peter had conversion in mind if you go back to 1 Peter 1-2 when he spoke of obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, end of quote. Now, let me try to bring all that together, okay? What it boils down to is that Peter is not saying, okay, since you're doing good things and have purified your own souls, now do this. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's saying, since God has saved you and you have a desire to obey him, now this. We on on board here? I'm seeing some glazed eyes. So what, what I'm saying here is having purified your souls is referring to God purifying their souls and their participation in that by your obedience to the truth means that they obeyed the truth of the gospel after God purified their souls. Okay, So the emphasis is not on their doing good Yeah, you, you're doing all right, you're checking boxes. But instead it's saying, since these things have happened in your lives, and it's apparent, the emphasis emphasis is on not their goodness, but God's goodness. Because, again, the emphasis is on since you have been made well, since you now have the ability and the parameters to obey, now this. And please hear this. Our obedience, and we'll talk about this in application, our obedience, our ability to be obedient is found first and foremost in what God has done in and for us already. Amen. Y'all have probably heard me refer to the Watchman Knee book, Sit, Walk, Stand. And the first three chapters of Ephesians detail our having been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And then you get into Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which are walking through the world and standing against the enemy. The precursor to walking and standing is sitting. What has been done for us has to be understood before we can do anything good in the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Our obedience, our ability to be obedient is found first and foremost in what God has done in and for us already. And while that's not the point of this passage, it is there. And I don't want us to miss it. Peter's not giving glory to those who would read this letter, but instead he's glorifying God for what he has done in these readers' lives. And that's the goal. In all things Christian, in doctrine, in our experience, in our conduct, in our change, His glory is the goal. We always, no, we have a tendency to too often to grade our performance based on how we feel about it and feel like we should do better. And that never works. I'm going to leave that there. We've said it a thousand times. So, let's move on with that table set. What's the goal here for this purified soul and this obedience from the heart? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Hmm. While God's glory is the preeminent desire of the new life... Listen, close behind that is the love of the brothers. The command to these believers is to love one another. 
God purified your soul and wired you for obedience so that you might sincerely love your Christian brothers. Purified and obedient for a sincere love of the brothers. It is a top priority to God in saving you for you to love your brothers. Now let that sink in. For, this is the reason, a sincere love of the brothers. Sincere is the word anupokritos, and it means undisguised, unskilled in the art of acting. It means you ain't playing. You can't play. You don't know how to play. You're not hypocritical. Anupokritos. Pokritos is the same word for hypocrite. And this is anupokritos, which means I can't do it. I can't be hypocritical. What I'm doing is sincere. It's not hypocritical. You sincerely love those who are your brothers in the Lord. Those adopted into the family with you through the act of God and redemption. Brotherly love is the Greek word Philadelphia. The city of what? Brotherly love. And since you have been adopted, redeemed, purified, and given the ability to be obedient, so then what? So then love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been purified to love your Christian brothers, well then... Love them. Makes sense, right? Since you've been called to Philadelphia, not the city, since you've been called to a love of the brothers, then agapao, which is from the word agape, one another earnestly. Agape is God-type love. Love that cares more for the one loved than the one loving themselves. And so Peter says, do that. Love like God loves. Love your brothers like God loves you and your brothers. And do that earnestly. The word earnestly is from a verb which means like earnest is. No, that's, that's earnestly. That's earnestish. That'd be earnestish. The word earnestly is, is from a verb that means to stretch out the hand. And so it means to be stretched out. Love others like God loves. And do that in a way that stretches your ability to do it. It also means to be serious about it. Earnestly means serious. Again, I'm not playing here. I'm serious. I'm serious about loving the brothers more than myself. And it's going to stretch me. Love that way. And do it, Peter says, from a pure heart. Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount that the pure in heart would see God. That's a blessing, right? Well, the pure in heart also love their brothers correctly, it turns out. Pure means unsullied, unalloyed. It's just 100% of something. And here, our hearts, the seat of our affections, our emotions, is 100% full of God love for the followers of Jesus. Do it that way, Peter says. Since God has saved you, love each other with serious selflessness. And I want to, if I haven't already made it clear, this is a big deal. This is serious. And Peter is calling upon those who would read this letter, including us, even though he didn't know that, He's calling on his readers to make sure they know this and that they do this with the resources, gifts, and opportunities that they have in their redeemed lives. 
And he says that there's a reason for loving like this in verse 23. Since, there's that word, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now this is where it gets really good. So this verse starts with the word since. The thought pattern is do blank since blank. Okay? And we've seen what fills in the blank of the to-do part, right? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's what we do. Do that. Since what? Now look at this. Since you have been born again, dot, 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 through the living and abiding word of God. Love the brothers since you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Now that perishable, imperishable thing is descriptive of this word. We'll get back to that in a second. But for now, reach back to verse 22 for a second and let's piece this together best we can. I don't, okay, let me go back to 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now that is a lot to think about. Since you have been purified, or since you have been purified and become obedient because of and to the truth of the gospel, since that's true, love each other earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. It's a whole lot of senses there, right? Yes, sensei. Sorry. Fear does not exist in this dojo. Since you have been purified and made obedient, love each other. Since that purification and that obedience are a result of the living and abiding word of God. So the loving of our brothers is a result of our salvation and our salvation is a result of the word of God. That's the thought pattern here. Well, since those things are true, love each other. Now get a hold of that. You have been born again. Your new birth is a result of the word that God proclaimed. And, and result, the result should be that the salvation that results from the word produces the fruit of loving each other earnestly. It's not a command to drum up feelings of warm fuzzies for each other. But rather, it's the word of God brings in new life and that new life is displayed and seen through us loving each other. Now that may not sound like a big difference, but it's huge. It's not saying since you've been born again, feel real good about how these other people are. It's not saying enjoy them because you've been born again by the living word. It's not saying, okay, yeah, I feel good about these people all the time since I've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. That's not what it's saying at all. Again, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I about got ahead of myself. Rein it in, Jason. It's not a command to drum up feelings of warm fuzzies, but rather it's the Word of God brings new life, and that new life is displayed in us loving each other. Jesus said that in John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you that you love one another, he says to his disciples. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see the cause and the result here? It's impossible to be born again 
by the influence and power of the Word of God and not love the brothers. Don't miss that. If your so-called Christian faith is not producing love for God's people, it's not Christian. Apple trees produce apples. The Word of God produces born-again people who love each other. Period. That's what all this sense stuff is about. It's not saying love each other because it's the right thing to do or because it's on the list of things to do. It's saying love each other because the source of your salvation is the Word of God. And the Word of God leads to disciples loving each other. You following me? Because this is important. And here, it's the Word that is the cause and the loving your brothers is the result. The Word is the root and the love is the fruit. And when we get these root and fruit orders out of whack, we start struggling to do what we're supposed to do. Which means we're trusting in our own efforts. Well, I should love the brothers better. Okay, how can I do that? Well, I should do this and I should do this. And I'll not do this anymore. And I won't think bad thoughts when, when that one person starts talking to me because I'm going, oh, I wish they'd just be quiet because I'm tired of them talking to me. I don't like this person. No, wait a minute, I shouldn't feel that way because that's my brother. I'm supposed to love. Okay, I'll love them. That's not what this is about. That's not, it's not about trusting our own efforts. We're supposed to trust the God of the Word and the Word of God. And that Word of God, Peter says, cannot ever lose its power. He says that the seed we were born of is not perishable, but is imperishable. Now what's that got to do with anything? In modifying and describing the Word as the seed by which we were born... Peter is saying that the Word of God is the very life germ that we were conceived with. The analogy is is to conception. Like a sperm cell that initiated our physical lives, the Word of God is the seed that instituted our new birth. That's kind of gross. It's not gross. And the Word of God combined with the Spirit of God gives us new life. And the seed of the Word, unlike natural seed that brings human life that passes away, we'll get there in a second, all flesh is like grass, this seed cannot and will not pass away. It is imperishable. And it's living and abiding, which means it's alive and it will never stop being alive. And so the imperishable Word produces what? It produces imperishable, eternal, everlasting life. And that superabundant, overflowing, too much to contain life pours out into and then out through us, perpetually producing and reproducing itself through the people of God to the glory of God for all eternity. And listen, here's the big picture hope. That word of God, that seed cannot and will not fail. So our hope is in a word, the word, that cannot and will not fail. Not in my efforts. Not in my here today, gone tomorrow efforts. We'll get to that in a second. 
And the eternality of this word is discussed and expanded upon in verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Oh, man. So this last part with these two verses starts with one of our favorite words, right? Four. Not this four, but four. I don't know. We ended our last verse with Peter contributing the believer's salvation and thus their love of the brothers to the living and abiding word of God. And now here he's going to expound on that word of God by quoting an Old Testament passage. Luke read it this morning in the public reading. It's from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, which says... A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now watch the contrast here. The contrast is between flesh and the word of God, the word of the Lord. The natural versus the supernatural. And in referencing the word of God that brought salvation, and with it an earnest love of the brothers, Peter says that this word is supernatural. And to show its imperishableness, and its livingness, and its abidingness, he brings up this passage from Isaiah to show how this word is not like human, natural flesh. The word for flesh is the Greek word sarks. And it refers to natural, physical, human stuff. What makes a human a human? The material that makes us tangible. And all of that, Isaiah says, and Peter repeats, is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the grass. So what's that about? Again, remember that the point of all this is to contrast the word of God with the flesh of man. The imperishable versus the perishable. It's to amplify and illustrate the vast difference in the doing of God and the doing of man. And so, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. Now what happens to grass and its flower? The grass withers and the flower falls. We who live in these areas that experience four seasons see this year in and year out, don't we? Green in the spring. You know what? I love love forsythia bushes. The bright, vibrant yellow bushes. And they get real big and dense and thick. And they start out a little bit. And then pop! They turn yellow. And it's like, ah, look at that. That's beautiful. But that yellow goes away. And it gives way to green. And then it dies and falls off. And then comes spring. Pop again. And it fades to green and then to brown. And then it dies. And we got to... Muddle through the winter. Uh, okay, it's 19 degrees. There's no yellow on the forsythia bushes. It's January the 20th and it's... Uh. And we do this every year, don't we? Yes, we do. Green in the spring and summer gives way to brown and bare in the fall every year. But then that brown and bare gives way to green in life. And the cycle never fails, ever. All flesh is like that. It withers. And then there's a new generation. And then it withers. And then there's a new generation. Then it withers. And its glory, its flower, falls. It's made to die. 
It's made to pass away. But, Peter quotes Isaiah saying, the word of the Lord remains forever. Again, in contrast to the natural, always passes awayness of human flesh, human deeds and human doings, the word of the Lord remains forever. Its glory never fades. And what has produced our salvation and thus our obedience? Not our doing, but the word of God. Now, stop a second. Plug in to that power source. That word, the word of the Lord, the word of God, remains forever. It abides. It never fails or falls. Its glory never fades away. The word for remains is minnow, not like the little fish. And it means to remain as one, not to become another or different. It endures. It persists. And I say, breathe this in, church. Peter is making sure we see that the work that the Word of God does in and through the people of God will never pass away. It'll never fail. It'll never fade. It will always endure. It can't not endure. It's eternal. And our deeds, our efforts in and of themselves will fail, will fall away, will die. But... If the seed in us is God's seed, if the seed in us is God's word, what is produced in and through us is gloriously eternal in direct contrast to our lack of glory or eternality in and of ourselves. So, going back to the command to love the brothers, if it's up to us, our efforts, even our best efforts, those efforts will fail and fall away. But if it's God's seed, God's doing, God's power, God's word, it is eternally glorious. Listen, if it's God's word, it can't fail. If it's God's will, it will come to be. If it's God's power, it can't be stopped. And so look how Peter says it at the end of our passage, which is the end of chapter 1 too, by the way. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Wow. Peter wants his readers to know that all this sensing and foring and if-thening is really, really good news. It's not cause for despair. It's not cause for moaning and groaning about how bad we are. It's really, really good news. Since you have had your soul purified, and since you have been made obedient, since you have been born of imperishable seed and called to love the people of God with passionate seriousness, and since this was all brought about by God's word, not your doing, well, then it's all good. Because all of these truths, all this word, all these commands, it all is the good news that was preached to you. Peter says he knows what was preached to them. It was the teaching that Jesus himself had spoken to Peter and his apostolic brothers. And since it was that word, those words, then good news! You got the real deal. You got the genuine specimen. You got the good stuff. 
And this good news is the best news possible because it's the very living, breathing, producing, and eternally reproducing Word of God. And that Word remains forever. And that Word, Peter says, is the good news that was preached to you. You got the good seed. And therefore, you don't have to rely on yourself. Therefore, you don't have to despair at your failings and your falling away because all flesh is like that. You get to rely on the eternally faithful, powerful Word of God that was preached to you. And where is that found? Of course, it's found in the Scriptures. We know that. Peter's recipients didn't know that yet. They just knew that the apostolic teaching that was passed on to them was the real deal because it was the word of the apostle is as of the word that, of the one that sent him and they were getting the pure, unadulterated commands, teachings, and power of Jesus himself. And now today we find that in our Bibles. And so as I hand this Bible to you, as I preach this word to you, you're getting the good stuff. You're getting God's words. You're getting God's power, not mine. God help you if you're getting mine. You don't want it. All flesh is like grass. Jason's flesh is like grass. But the word of the Lord endures forever. It'll stand forever. And that's what you're getting. That's what produced your salvation. The Word of God, along with the Spirit of God, brought about the very life of God in you. So when you hear a command to love the brothers, if God commanded, He empowers to keep the commandment. So it's good news. If you get the command to go into all the nations and make disciples of all the nations, guess what? That's what the Spirit of God's doing. That's what the Word of God is there to empower us to do. So we don't have to look at this, well, I'm not going to the nations Part of your money is going to the nations, just what Will was saying this morning. And that's participation in. And if God commands it, he's going to bring it about one way or another. And your faithfulness, empowered by his word, is going to echo into all eternity and redound to the praise and the glory of God himself. And it can not fail. Cease striving. And know that he is God. Lay down your deadly doings, Herb Hodges would say. And trust the God who can do the impossible even in and through you. So let's go to application. Knowing that you got the good seed. I don't have these alliterated. I know. But they're simple. Y'all can fire me. The application points are God, love, and word. Okay? You can remember that. God, love, word. Um, I just couldn't find them. Sorry. The first application point from all of this is God. And you're like, well, this sounds a lot like what you said last week. Yep, sure does. (laughs) Because it's still true today. Matter of fact, this passage that's going to come up here, we used last week in our application point as well. 
Here's what I want you to know in this application point. It's God's power. It's God's doing that is going to empower and give you the ability to be obedient to his commands. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's really good news. I'm not trying to drum up your emotions. Just look at that. I wish God would work in and through me. Uh, He is. And He will. Because the seed that was planted in you was His Word. And His Word brings His power. And His power brings His works. And it's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Cease striving. Quit your own trying. And ask God to work in and through you. Because that's what he does. Look at this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Stop. I'm going to circle something. You can't see it anymore. But it says all. I can't make it go away. Yeah, I think I can actually. No, I'm not going to try it. I'm going to mess everything up. Nope, I knew it. There we go. I did. His divine power has granted to us as believers all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us, has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Oh my goodness! Having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. No, you cannot pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You cannot try harder to do better and end up pleasing God. You can't do it yourself and genuinely love your brothers. But guess what? He can. He can do it in and through you. He is able... Ephesians says, to do exceeding abundantly above anything we can think or imagine. You can love these people here so much better than you ever thought you could. Because it's God who's at work in you and He's given you everything you need. His divine power, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Whose power? His power. Put down your deadly doings and watch God do what only He can do in and through you. It is God who is at work in you to do His will, to bring about His promises, to bring about obedience to His truth. See yourself as seated with Christ in the heavenly places before you try to walk through the world and stand against the enemy. Know that it's His power. God enables us to keep His commandments, and to do His will. We agree with Him. We know what He has said. We agree with it and we submit to Him and His power and ask Him, God, please do in and through me what I can't do myself. So that He gets all the glory. So that's God. Everybody meet God. You're welcome. The second is love. 
This passage today in 1 Peter makes it clear that we are commanded to love the brothers. One of the first and most prevalent fruits of your Christian life is genuinely, selflessly, godishly loving each other. But now be careful here. I'm going to read a quote from Warren Wiersbe, and I'm going to pre-qualify it by saying, wait, don't just take the quote in and of itself. Love the brothers. Wiersbe says, love is something we have to work at. Amen. Just as an Olympic contestant has to work at his particular skills, Christian love, Wiersbe says, is not a feeling. It is a matter of the will. We show love to others when we treat them the same way God treats us. God forgives us, so we forgive others. God is kind to us, so we are kind to others. It's not a matter of feeling, but of willing. And this is something we must constantly work at if we are to succeed. And I say yes and amen to that 100%. I saw a quote, I think it was from Gary Thomas, maybe. And I I think I shared it on Facebook. I may not have because I'm careful about who I share because I don't know exactly what this guy talks about or believes. But it says, married couples don't fall out of love, they fall out of repentance. They stop working at it. They stop being sorry so they don't love each other anymore. And what they're saying when they say, well, I fell out of love, is I don't feel the feelings anymore. And what I would look at them and say is you're not doing the things anymore. You're not doing what you should be doing. You're not working at loving your spouse. Well, I just don't feel it anymore. Well, work yourself into feeling it. Do into feeling. Don't try to feel your way into doing It's the same thing here when we talk about loving our brothers. Again, I would guess, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just speaking out of my own sinfulness, I would guess there are people in this congregation who get on your nerves. It's probably me. (laughs) Is it I? (laughs) Everybody's looking around going, oh... I mean, come on. Married couples. All right, I get on my own nerves. Married couples, your spouse gets on your nerves sometimes, right? Don't admit it here. But it's true. I've said it before. My kids get on my nerves, and I know I get on my kids' nerves. Does that mean I don't love them? No. Matter of fact, when I'm feeling that frustration, that annoyance, that's when I really need to work harder at loving them. The same thing here. Love is something we have to work at, Wearsby says. Christian love is not a feeling, it's a matter of the will. It's not a matter of feeling, but of willing. And this is something we must constantly work at if we are to succeed. Constantly. They're just like strenuously thinking a few weeks ago. 
That's something we've got to constantly be doing. We have got to constantly work at loving our brothers if we are to succeed. Now, let me qualify that with, where's the power come from to do that? It's not your natural affections. It's in the Word of God. It's by the power of the Spirit of God that we work at this. I am not asking you to drum up feelings for these people. The Word of God does not command you to drum up feelings for these people. But the Word of God does command and demand that you serve these people. Just like God serves you. So God forgives you, you forgive them. God blesses you, you bless them. God is kind to us, so you're kind to each other. And I promise you, if you just try to do it in your natural state, you will fail. Because all flesh is like grass. And you can get pretty arrogant. I'm doing real good at loving these people. I, I prepare a message every week and I preach every week and I give my guts out. I'm, yeah, you bet I love these people. All right. Arrogant, proud fellow. That's not love. Love is not arrogant. Love does not seek its own. But you are commanded to constantly work at loving the brothers if you are to succeed. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Love God, love your neighbor. Those are the two great commandments. And that's what we are to exert ourselves in the power of the Spirit to do. Without question. And Paul amps it up and says, especially those are of the household of the faith. And I would say especially those people who sit here week in, week out. If you have to make a decision between how you're going to serve or how you're going to love people, the priority is right here. Who are you going to spend your time with? Who are you going to give your resources to? I'm not saying don't spend it with other people and don't give resources to other places outside of here, but I'm saying your priority is right here. That's what our covenant is all about. God places us in a local assembly so that we can love and serve each other. One another, one another, one another, one another. All through the New Testament. Listen, the people who meet in this building, who who you meet with in this building week after week after week, listen, are to be the priority in your love and in your service. That's a command. It's not my preference. It is my preference, thank God. But I'm not telling you to observe my preference. Look at what God says in his word. Now, should we help Getty and his family who don't meet? Sure, absolutely. They're of the household of faith too. The Napiers, they've been here once. Well, they've only come once, we're not helping them anymore. No, that's not how it works. Love the brothers, all the brothers. The universal church from eternity past into eternity future. And we're going to serve in eternity future with all the brothers. Thank God. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. And we're going to love them perfectly because we're going to be perfect then. Until then, focus on these people right here. 
One of my favorite things to do in the whole world is to sit in a seat back there and watch people come up to this table week by week by week. And I will say this, the love that I feel for the saints as they march up to this table is real, it's tangible, it's powerful. And it's God-breathed. It's not just me preferring this group of people, even though I do. Let me ask you this, and we'll finish with this application point, which is love, which means love the brothers. What do you need to do in the power of the Spirit in order to love these people better? Watch this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-12. to Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Focus on loving each other so that you don't have to be dependent on anybody. Love the outsiders all through Macedonia. Yes, absolutely. And do this more and more. I think it's a good prayer to ask God to help us to love each other better. Help me to love my brothers and my sisters better. In this building and in the universal church. God, help me in the power of your spirit. Instruct me through the power of your word to love my brothers and my sisters better. I didn't say try harder to do better. I said ask God to help you love your brothers and sisters better. More and more, Paul said. Help me to do it more and more, God. So God, love, and finally, word. Now what are we talking about here, right? It's another application point about the Bible. Yes, it is. Absolutely it is. Where does the eternal, imperishable life and power of God come from? It comes from the seed in the Word. The living and abiding Word of God, Peter said. We didn't really cover that living and abiding part much. We kind of said it. But living means it's alive. The word, is the Word alive in you? It's abiding. It's just always there. It won't go away. Can you say that about the word? Do you forget it? Oh, shoot. Oh, yeah, the Bible. I won't throw this rock, but I'll give an illustration. Back in the day when people carried, like, real Bibles, so long ago, people who would come in and say, Oh, man, I didn't even get my Bible out of my car this week. I'm like, What the heck? You got another one? No, it's the only one I got. And you left it in the car all week. That's not abiding. Now listen, we've got devices and we've got stuff now. We don't necessarily have to carry a tangible copy of the Bible. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. But if you cannot engage the Bible, except when you're here in this building, something's wrong. The living and abiding Word of God is what gives us the eternal, imperishable life. You say, well, but, but it's settled, right? The, the gospel came in and gave me new life. True, yes, absolutely. But is that new life living and abiding in and through your life every day? The only way that happens is through 
living in, abiding in the word of God. We would do well to understand the power of the word of God. We would do well to understand the value that God has placed on his word. Look at this. I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to go for it. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 119.89. Psalm 138.2. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you, God, have exalted above all things your name and your word. Read that again. We would do well to understand the value that God has placed on His Word. And make it a priority in our lives. By the power of the Holy Spirit, not trying harder to do better to check your reading list off. Sometimes we just got to discipline ourselves for that godliness, yes. But God, would you help me to see who you are, what you desire, as I go into your Word. Speak, O Lord. Jesus says this, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And later in John 6, he says, After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with them. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, I would say, alone have the words of eternal life. All flesh is like grass. And its glory like the flower of the grass. It fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And it is this word that's available in whatever copy of the Bible you have. That you're reading or listening to or watching. Be careful about watching. Um, I'll leave that alone. Is the word of God living and abiding in you? It can't be unless you're immersed in it. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, God says, be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God superintends his word. And it will not go out. It will not cross the eye gate or the ear gate without getting in here and being firmly planted and accomplishing what he has sent it to do in the lives of his people. Now the parable of the soils tells us sometimes that word gets snatched away before it takes root by the enemy. Sometimes it finds different soils. How's the soil of your heart to receive the word of God? Because if it gets planted in there, It brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Are you living in, are you abiding in the living and abiding word of God? Is it your daily bread? The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Where else would we go, Lord? You alone. Have the words of eternal life. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For 
You have exalted above all things your name and your word. May we be a people in the power of the Spirit, loving and serving each other, who exalt above all things the name of God and the word of God. And he who called you is faithful. He who spoke the word superintends so that it will not return to him empty. He who spoke it will accomplish that which he proposed. And that word shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it out. God help me to love the brothers earnestly. You saw that in my word. I'll accomplish that in and through you. God love word. Let's apply these things this week, guys. Let's pray. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and your authority. Help us to look in your word and see words of power that can never fail. And God, we ask that you would let their truth prevail over our unbelief. God, help us to love each other passionately, fervently, in the power of your spirit as we see instructed and empowered by your word. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.